There's a couple things running through my heart this morning when there was worship going on. And, and one of them was I felt like the Lord was highlighting that there was a lot of care and anxiety um, on his people here. And that environment of worship and ec- expressing your love and your admiration and, and exalting God in the middle of a situation is how you cast your care on the Lord. It's how you do warfare with the thoughts in your mind. It's how you do warfare when circumstances stack against you. Because the, the big problems that we face is not really the circumstances. It's how we perceive the circumstances. Amen? It's, it's what goes on in here. It's the perception. And in the middle of your perceiving, you may have a molehill and you think it's a mountain. Amen? You may have nothing at all. But it's blown up to you. And you may have a mountain. And in God's eyes, it's a molehill. Amen? <laughs> you know, you, you read through the Old Testament. And they had armies arrayed against Israel. They could not be counted. They're like the locusts, you know. <laughs> they're like giants. They're just, there's too many and they're too big and they're too powerful. And God says, I'll, you, just, you just praise. You just worship. You just allow me to work. And see, there were times where he called them to be obedient, but there was also times where he came in and helped. Amen. So you do what he's telling you to do, and he's going to do his part too. And, and what you have to, the, the, the line you draw in the sand is when there's times of, and I really felt that this morning when we were at the end of worship. And right there before we had that, everybody was, I think, more engaged and entering in and, and, and loving on the Lord. It was highlighted to me how much, personal anxiety and stressors. I don't know if they're situations or family situations, problems where you don't know how to solve things. You need to spend some time in worship. Amen. And, and uh, otherwise, otherwise, if you're dwelling on the problem, uh, I remember, I think it was Albert Einstein, smart guy. He said, he says, the same mind that constructed the problem can't be the mind that solves it. In other words, how you see something, if you all if all you see is the problem and if all you're dwelling on is how it doesn't work and how hopeless it is, you think a solution is going to spring out of that? <laughs> you think God's will is going to spring out of that? No, you have to focus, get your attention set on Jesus. Spend some time with him. Amen. Amen. All right. I've been talking these last couple of weeks. I don't know how many have all been here, but I know the last two weeks it's been a a theme. And uh, the first Sunday I was here, we were talking about the thought life. Everybody say thought life. Uh, and, and the thought life is the beginnings. It's the seeds. It's the, it's the origin of your speech. It's the origin of your actions. It's, you know, stuff swirls around in here long enough and you start to say it. You find other people that say it too and you start to listen to other people who say it and then you start to act on it and you do it. You know, I, I took business school. That's what marketing is, right? Marketing is planting a seed and watering it and then hoping somebody will come buy your product in the end, right? That's marketing. You plant, you water, you sow, and then you get the increase when they come by, you know. And and God's got a gospel and the enemy comes and sows tares and thorns and thistles and things that bring destruction. 
And as a believer, as a believer, see, when, when Jesus broke, everybody say broke. He broke the law of sin and death off of you. There, there, there's no hold the devil has on you at all, period. Okay. But what the enemy can do, which is unfortunately just as powerful, if you believe his lie, is that you believe that nothing has changed or nothing can change. There's no faith for this situation. There's no faith for you. There's no expectation for change. There's no hope for change. If the enemy can come with a thought reinforced with other people's voices, reinforced with bad doctrine, reinforced with circumstances that speak and you believe the message, the power of the believing you give to that message gives the enemy power over you. That's the power that he has. The law of sin and death has no power. Jesus eradicated that. Amen. Uh, let me just camp on that for a second. Okay. Uh, probably, I, I would say, I, I hate doing this, but if you do not have Romans 6, 7, and 8, those three chapters, Romans 6, everybody say it with me, Romans 6, <laughs> Romans 7, <laughs> Roman 8. If, if you do not have those three chapters in you and know what they mean, you probably don't have anything else to do. <laughs> okay, short of getting up and leaving and go reading them right now, that's probably what you should do. Okay, so don't, don't interrupt the service. But after church, after maybe you get some food, very quickly go to Romans 6, 7, and 8. Because if you don't have a solid understanding of what those three chapters mean, you don't have a good idea of what happened to you when you got born again. You don't. If you can't explain them to somebody else or if you read them and you don't understand what they're saying, that's number one priority. Number one, because understanding what Paul is saying in Romans six, seven and eight, he is taking you through the process of what happened when you got born again. OK, and to put it in a nutshell, OK, the, the, the parable that that Paul uses, he says, you know, when a man and woman are married Okay. The woman is, in a sense, married to her husband. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry another. Everybody following, right? So Paul uses this example and he says, we were espoused to the law covenant. And we were married to the law and we brought forth fruit from that marriage. Unfortunately, the fruit that was brought forward in that marriage to the law was sin and death. Everybody say sin and death. And see, and he goes through all of this argument. He says, is the law bad? No, it was holy. It was good. But there was weakness. There was a law of sin and death in us. And there was the law came and exposed and it continued to accuse and bring forward sin and death. Right. And so the, the fruit that came forward from that marriage was evidence. We need there's something that needs changing. Amen. And so when Jesus came and died, he died in the place of one who represented the perfect keeping of the union of the law. But he died in place of you and me and the body of sin and death was destroyed the law with it so that we could be free, he says, to be married to another. So we are not married to the law. We're married to Christ. And we are one spirit with him. 
Okay, he goes through all this. Romans 7. Everybody say Romans 7. Romans 7. Hallelujah. <laughs> Romans 7. If it's God, tell him. <laughs> Let, let's put him on the phone. because <laughs> Anyway, that's an old joke. <clears throat> I'm making mistakes. I need to know. Sometimes I'll go back after church and I'll find out I said such and such, you know. Noah, Noah wrote the Ten Commandments or something crazy like that. I was like, oh, well, oh, well they know I know more than that. So, <laughs> anyway, when you're in the flow, you sometimes the details, you just let them go, okay? So if you hear me say something that's wrong, just think better of me. <laughs> anyway, Romans 7, Romans 7, the whole book. Of, or the whole chapter of Romans 7 is describing in the parable. He, he moves through Romans 7 and is describing one that is married to the law. The good that I would, I could not do. And I recognize there's, I, I, with the law of my mind, I, I, my mind was set on the law. I wanted to do what was right, but I see this law of sin and death that's exposed in me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me <laughs> From this body of death. And then it goes to Romans 8. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 8. Everybody say Romans 8. Romans 8 is a description of one that is married to Christ. All of Romans 8. When you read that. There is no law of sin and death. You have been set free. And the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has taken that place. Amen. The law of sin and death has been removed and you are free to serve another and it's Christ. Okay. That's, that's a good, if you don't know that, get that in you. Be able to explain it to people. Be able to talk to people about it. Because if you don't believe that change, I can't tell you how many Christians I've had conversations with where they'll hold up Romans 7 and they'll say, man, I so identify with what Paul is saying here. Oh, please don't. Please don't identify with what he's saying here Be, because he's not talking about you. He's talking about the problem that you got delivered from. <laughs> and if you if you identify with the guy in Romans seven, you're basically saying you need salvation still. And then then you don't have any hope or expectation that any change is possible. But we're not like that. Right. Everybody on board with me. OK, we're not like that. It's an important distinction. It's not. Well, that's his opinion. You better get it clear what he's saying there. He's you're free from sin and death. Hallelujah. And that if you are free, if Jesus did set you free, whom the son sets free is free. Indeed, the truth is going to set you free. If you are free, then you better have faith and hope and freedom. That means any addiction that you're dealing with post cross is believed and allowed. Believed and allowed. OK. And what we've been talking about. We've talked about being a good steward of our thought life and being a good steward. What's the fruit of our thought life? Our habits. Okay. And, and I think last Sunday I majored mostly. Excuse me. I majored mostly on we can't have an idealistic belief system that we say I, I'm, a, I'm part of this camp. I believe in this creed. I, I agree with this. But then when we go look at our life, it doesn't match up. Right. Our life, what we say with our actions every day, what you say with what you do is really the testimony of what you believe. 
Not what you say with your mouth. What you do is the testimony of what you believe. Okay. Do you believe it's important to have a relationship with God? The evidence of that belief will be time spent with him. Okay. Do you believe that it's important to read your Bible on a regular basis? The evidence of that belief is not the saying, but the doing. Right. Everybody follow me. So I wanted to talk about uh, this afternoon, not. I wanted to talk about practical things that we can we can do to make sure our our confessions and our our believings and our doings are all lined up and synced up. Right. Uh, And I have found that with me, sometimes I think better of what I what I'm doing than I'm actually doing. Does that make sense? <laughs> Sometimes I think I'm doing a better job than I am. There have been days. I know I'm, I'm sorry I keep using the same examples, but they're me and that's what I use. Okay. Um, there have been days where I've been in the middle. I'm just praying, having a good old time. And the Lord will be at the end of the day. He's like, do you know <laughs> how much sugar you had today? And, and I'll, I'll be like, I think I'm doing pretty good today. And he says, well, what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> well, um, we had orange juice and we had pancakes with syrup. And then after that, I had the leftover cinnamon roll that was sitting in the, and, and, and then and what did you have for lunch? And then what did you have for a snack after lunch? And then all of a sudden you start to like, oh my gosh, I've not been doing very good. You know, and that's what the Holy Ghost is there to be. He's there to be a witness of good and bad habits in your life. Amen. And so um, sometimes there is an awareness that's required in our walk. And unless we have accountability with those around us, or unless we're, you know, our relationship with God is a source of accountability, our relationship with others, our family members is a source of accountability, our relationship in this church. Everybody say church. This church is supposed to be a source of accountability. Okay, that's one of the benefits, one of the benefits of having an intimate group of believers around you. I don't say that you can't be a part of a mega church, but what I have seen in many mega churches is people can hide. Okay, and and we don't want to foster that. We want to part of church is being accountable. You know, you can read through and see even Peter need accountability, you know, accountability. When Paul called him out, he says, you're eating unkosher food you're eating with gentiles you're living like gentiles but then when jews come you withdraw yourself right that's hypocrisy and and paul called peter out on that that's healthy church (laughs) that's healthy church i need you to call me out on stuff you need me to call you out on stuff you need each other to call you out on stuff you know That's what a good church is going to do. It's going to round everybody out. You ought to be getting better and better and more refined and walking in more love and having more grace and more forgiveness and more understanding with each other as you spend time together. Because that accountability comes and says, you know, I love you so much. I'm going to risk offending you today. (laughs) That's what real love is. It's not like you're good. Go on your way. Hope you make it. See you next year. You know, that's not church. Amen. And and uh, we have to be in love, 
good receivers of correction and in, in hope that people will receive it. In love, good givers of correction. If you love somebody, you're going to help admonish them to stop something or fix something. Okay, And we need that as a body. Hallelujah. Let's be turning to uh, John chapter 14. If you brought your Bibles or your phones or your tablets. just going to read a small section of scripture here and then we're going to go into some practical things this is kind of the fleshing out of scripture you know the the bible tells us to be good stewards right be good stewards of our finances say but the bible doesn't list out the budget categories you should keep you have to go do that the bible tells us to be good stewards but it doesn't give you accounting principles Or how to read financial statements. You have to go do that. So the principles that God gives us in his word require fleshing out. It requires practical steps that we walk through. And we have to think, how does this impact us? And what do we need to change? Amen. See, Romans chapter 14. Or sorry, (laughs) John. John chapter 14. Let's start in verse. uh, Let's start in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. And this is right before Jesus was going to the cross. And uh, this is another good section of scripture that you should know. Romans 14 through 17. Okay. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Let yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my father. You and me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Now stop right there. Okay. Oh, no. Sorry. One more. One more verse. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, let's stop right there. Let's, everybody knows the theoretical question or answer to this question. Does God love everybody? Yes. He does. Okay. But there is a kind of manifested love, a manifested fellowship and love that bears fruit that Jesus is talking about here that comes when one is in agreement with God and keeps his commandments. The love that God has for the world doesn't bear any fruit for them because they don't reciprocate it. Okay. But the love that God has for you is reciprocated by your love for him and keeping his commandments. And there is a manifested, there is a tangible difference. There is a fruit. There is an abiding that comes in your life because God loves you and because you love him. The love that God has for the world at this moment is unfruitful because they have not received him. But the love that he has for you becomes fruitful as it impacts your walk and as you keep his commandments. 
So look how this is phrased. We know that God loves everybody, but Jesus makes a special point about this kind of love here. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest. Everybody say manifest. And manifest myself to him. I would go so far as to say that Jesus's entire ministry and relationship with God was built on this kind of love. They knew that God was with Jesus because of the relationship and the obedience and the keeping of God's commandments. Jesus was the one that says, whatever I see my father do that I do, I can do nothing of myself. Right. There was such a synchronous uh, relationship between him and God. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, okay, said to him, Lord, how is it? How is it that you will manifest yourself to us? And not to the world. And whether or not he knew what he was asking here or not, Jesus makes use of it anyway. <laughs> because I think there was a lot of ideas they had about how the Christ was supposed to deliver Israel. And it wasn't spiritually. It was put Israel back on the throne. Make them a sovereign nation again. And let them have power and dominion over all the other kingdoms. That's what was interpreted a lot of times. Okay, And he's like, how are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? <laughs> And this is the answer Jesus answered him with. Okay, If anyone loves me, he's going to keep my word. And my father will love him. He will love the one that keeps my word. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you. While I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Amen. That was the verse I had in mind this morning when I was praying about this and And there's a picture here that Jesus talks about the kind of love. We know that God loves everybody, but the love that he's talking about here is a manifested God presence in your home. God presence in your walk. God presence in your life. God presence where you go. God's presence who you talk to. Okay, it's an attractive thing when people sense character. They sense maturity. They sense stability in you because of your relationship with God. It's going to bear fruit. Okay, it's not going to be a hollow message. And me and Zach, we were playing a board game the other day and talking about this with the people that we see in, in some of these charismatic circles where I'm, I'm thankful for their level of obedience to, to try and walk in the gifts of the spirit. I'm all for supernatural gifts, but if it isn't matched with character and it's not matched with righteousness and, and there's all kinds of flaky stealing and adulterous things going on, you've you, you got a lopsided gospel. Right. Character and obedience to all of God's commandments go together. All right. Amen. So with that in mind, I wanted to share some things that uh, I have. I feel like the Lord has taught me and things that I've implemented in my life in the next 10 minutes. I've got a little um, I don't do this as often, but I wrote these down and these are five things to some degree or another, I have had to do to um, 
make sure my habits line up with what I'm preaching. <laughs> and I'll write this up and maybe we can put an attachment on the, on the website for this message. If you want to hear this message on the website, there'll be this attachment. I'll, and, and if you guys want them, maybe we'll print them. But, um, but I have five things I wrote down here. And, um, and this is, I titled it creating good habits or godly habits. Okay. And, um, and these are principles that apply to any habit, whether you want to get more Bible reading time in, whether you want to prayer time, whether God's asking you to change some things in your diet. These are tools. Okay. These are practical tools of how you flesh out the word of God. Okay. And when he gives you something, you don't just leave it. We do a disservice when God comes and tells us something and then we don't plan our whole lives around it. We don't actually let it impact what we do. We do a disservice when he comes and says, I believe you. I believe this about you, child. I want to see you do this, child. And when he comes with that kind of information and we just receive it and say, thank you, I receive it. But then we turn from that mirror that's the word of God and we don't actually do anything with it. That's unfruitful. Amen. Okay, so we want to be fruitful hearers, fruitful doers. Okay, number one, top of my list, make a plan. Everybody say make a plan. (laughs) It's a true statement. If you fail to plan, I found it in my life. Okay, if you don't like the way these line up, you write your own. Okay, but for me, if you fail to plan, you can plan to fail. That's pretty much how it goes. Okay. So um, I was I was reading a book the other day and they were telling me about a study that they did. uh, And uh, it was in England and they had two groups of people uh, and they taught both groups of people the fundamentals of exercise and proper nutrition, dieting, all of those things. They gave all of this information to both groups, both groups, the same presentation. One group, they gave them the information and let them run. Okay, go do, be fruitful. You know, The other group, they gave them the same information, but they made them do one extra exercise. Okay, And the exercise was, it was basically completing a statement like this. At such and such time, in such and such place, I will work out. <laughs> and they made a plan of, when am I going to do this? And where am I going to do this? Okay. The difference at the end of this experiment, the difference between the two, the group that just got the information was around 10% where they worked out on a regular basis. The group that filled out that statement, just that little commitment statement of, okay, this is when I'm going to do it and this is where I'm going to do it. It was more like 83%. It was like a 70 plus percent difference when they made a plan. Everybody say plan. (laughs) So it was a time and place thing. And it was just a little statement. Okay. So whatever God is telling you to do or impressing you to do, whether it's prayer time, Bible reading, changing things, write a statement and plan and say at such and such time and at such and such place, I am going to do X, Y, Z. Okay. Make a plan. Okay. Number two. Put an emphasis on the habit rather than reaching a single goal. Okay. Put an emphasis on the system behind it rather than a single point in time where you've achieved everything you wanted to achieve. In other words, it's not wrong to have a goal, 
to read the entire Bible. But it would be better to put a system in place where you read the Bible every day. Because if you read the Bible every day, you will establish a pattern in your life for longevity rather than a temporary, I did it, now what? Okay. So put an emphasis on the system and the habit rather than a short-term goal. Now, I, I do this in multiple ways. I will have a reading plan for myself. And that's why I brought this up here. This is something I do, and maybe this is a good time to show you all this. Every quarter, okay, this is what I do. Every quarter, every three months, I assess, did I do what I said I was going to do? Or did I do what God asked me to do? Okay, I've got my goals right here for this quarter. Some of them are going okay. <laughs> Some of them I need to work on, okay? But, um, so, so one of the things, one of the habits that I have is, ideally, is I want to read my Bible five times a week. That's how I, that's how I phrase it. I want to read my Bible five times a week for at least 30 to 45 minutes a day, okay? I mean, part of my job is ministering the word, I can't, I can't pretend, I can't pretend like, you know, I can, I can survive reading my Bible once a week. It's not possible. Okay. You got to have the word in you. Okay. So, um, so right here at the beginning of this quarter and what I've done every quarter is I've had a Bible reading plan. Okay. And I find there's a calculators online. There's, there's ways to do it. It's easy. You can get one on your phone. There's a million ways, or you can just write it up yourself. You, you come up with something. I know how long it takes me to read the whole Bible in a year. It takes 15 minutes, five times a day. You can have the whole Bible done. Okay. That means if you're doing 30 minutes, you'll get it through twice. Okay. But right now, my goal is to go through all of Paul's epistles a certain number of times in this quarter. So I've got written here what I do. Okay. And I'm going to read this today. I'm going to read this today. I'm going to read this today. And then I got this little column here where I check the box. Now, I'm real careful. I don't, wanna, I don't want to um, boil my relationship with God down to checking boxes off. You understand? If he tells me to do something different today, I'm going to do it. Okay. I, I want to stay. You've you got to find that sweet spot of measuring the right things and being open to his prompting. Okay. So this is my goal. And, and so I have a goal to read so much in this time, but I also have a system that says I'm going to read every day regardless. Okay. If I get this goal done or not, I'm still going to read a certain amount of times a day. Does that make sense? The goal is in the system. Okay. Um, okay. All right. So focus on a system rather than just a goal. The, the system is more important. It's about longevity. It's about establishing a, a habit. Okay. And then the other thing, which I kind of showed you here was number three. Okay. So number one is make a plan. Number two is focus on a system rather than a goal. Number three is track, track your habit. Okay. <clears throat> and I have here as an explanation, make a daily checklist of things that measure, that measure your progress. Okay. And, and sometimes you can focus on just the measurement and you can get off. But, but if you're doing it in the right way, you're going to measure the things that are, that, that are bringing you closer to being obedient to what God's called you to do. So to that end, I've done, um, let me show you, this is a different paper here. The goals that I have for this year, for me personally, I have turned into a daily checklist 
and I've turned into a, uh, a weekly checklist. Some of these things need to be done every week, some of them every day or every couple days. Okay, and I know what they are, and I have them in certain categories. But, you know, I don't, I don't know how many of you can see that close, but some, I've not had a good week this week. It's been kind of crazy. <laughs> but I know that, and I don't, I don't end this week with saying, I think I did pretty good today. <laughs> you know, like one of my goals is I want to have, I want to have no sugar, no sugar for five days a week. That's one of my goals, Okay. I have not been checking those boxes very well, <laughs> but I know it. And part of it is knowing it, right? So, uh, and it's also been that everybody's cooking and it's wonderful. And so, um, so take the goals and translate them into a way to check your habits. Okay. Uh, and, and plot them and follow them and, and see it, see the progress. I have been doing a God, good job with my reading. I have been doing a good job with my prayer time. Okay. So number four, or sorry, number three is track. Everybody say track. And there's something, maybe it's just me. I've heard other people don't care to do this, but, but I find a certain amount of satisfaction in tracking because I'm able to see and appreciate what's going on and that I am working towards what God has asked me to do. I can see it visually. Okay. It's like a loading bar on your computer screen, you know. We're almost there. We've almost done it, you know. And, and that, in its own way, is a reward. It's a reward to me that I can see I have done that. And, and I'm acknowledging it to myself, okay. And, and I can see, and I can see when I'm failing. And, and then that means we've got to change something, right? Okay. So, uh, number four. This is a really important one. And it's an important one not just for encouraging good habits, it's also an important one for discouraging bad habits, okay? And the way I wrote this down was update your environment, up, update your surroundings, your environment to encourage the habits you want to continue and to discourage the habits that you don't want to continue, okay? Um, and in other ways, I've, I've told this to people, uh, guys that have problems with pornography, um, how bad do you want to be free? Because get rid of your phone is an easy way to update your environment. Get rid of your phone. Cancel your internet. <laughs> have, have it gone right there. You know, and then give it three or four months. Okay? Update your environment. Remove the temptation. It, it's ridiculous for somebody that's a drunk to be able... Why would you go to the bar every night and expect to be okay? You can't. Okay? Um, don't, don't buy certain foods if you, if you realize that it's too much of a temptation for you. Okay. I have friends and family that I have had to unfollow. I love you, but I'm not going to look at that. <laughs> Update your environment. Those are choices you get to make. Okay. If, if you associate like my wife and I do, <laughs> this is something we're having to address. We associate once the kids go to bed, you know, uh, we sit on our couch we might turn the TV on and all of a sudden we got to eat. <laughs> like, it's an association thing. Anybody else, anybody else know that? Where's the ice cream at? It's like, I sat down, where's my ice cream? <laughs> Kids are in bed. It's, it's 7.30, 8 o'clock, where's my ice cream? You know, uh, that is association. And that's, that's something that you can control. You can change that, okay? Uh, I've heard of techniques where people will set timers on their internet. You can get little boxes 
if, if you don't want to watch TV or if it's, if it's 8 o'clock, you know, you can, uh, you can set your internet to turn off at 8 o'clock. All right. So um, you have the ability to edit and upgrade your environment to suit the habits that you want to accomplish. Okay. Um, and this doesn't just involve like your physical home. Um, it also, it can be your phones. I've mentioned that it's, it's, it's association with certain places. Okay. It's association with people. Do some of you, if you have friends that are just a bad influence on you, you got to cut them out. They, they will continue to drag you into wrong places. Okay. You edit your situation, your circumstance. Okay. Um, and cult- cultural groups. So what you surround yourself with can be to your detriment or to your benefit. If you, if you feel like you need to be, maybe if you want to join a running club or something that will promote a good habit that God has asked you to, to be a part of. And then that brings in the final fifth one. Okay. So we've got four is update your environment. Five is accountability with others. Everybody say accountability. Um, and when I say accountability with others, I mean, God, I mean, your spouse, I mean, your family, I mean, people around you, friends. And so, uh, this church, man, you have a a group of people here that are all on the same page. They all believe the same thing. They're all probably pursuing similar things. Maybe you can talk to one or the other and say, Hey, look, I'm trying to be consistent with my Bible reading. How about you? Would you like to to read the same portions of scripture every week or, or, or would you like to get together and pray or at least keep each other accountable? Or maybe there's something that, that you, that you got in your life. That's not right. That you're wanting to get rid of. And you say, look, I want to, I want to give you access to my life and ask me how it's going on a regular basis. Okay. Call me, test me, you know, and, and being accountable to another member of the church is a good way to, through that person, be accountable to God because you're making that choice. That's your choice. Amen. So that makes sense. Okay. So <clears throat> find ways to um, uh, change your surroundings and change who you're around and, and have people check on you. It, um, some of the habits can be really, really, really detrimental and they need to be cut right now. Some of them take time. Everybody's time. <laughs> okay. And, and it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Um, habits are like, I I heard a good analogy. Habits are like compound interest for your life. Anybody ever heard of compound interest? Okay. Uh, I was reading a investment book earlier this year. One of my goals is to read more. Okay. (laughs) And, uh, they were saying any, remember they've, they've done away with iPods now, but do you remember when they first came out? The iPod. I tell my boys this. I remember buying an iPod. Uh, not well. It was a Zoom, so a little different. It cost two hundred bucks, and so did the iPod. If you would, instead of buying an iPod, uh, what it, was it? Twenty-five years ago now, at least, when they first came out. If you would have taken that two hundred dollars instead of buying the iPod, you would have taken two hundred dollars and bought two hundred dollars worth of Apple stock. Anybody got guesses on what that'd be worth today? It wasn't that long ago. We all think, oh, that wasn't that long ago. Okay. This book told me it would be worth $80,000 today. 80000 That's compound interest. That's little bits of change over time. Now, 
habits are like that for your life. You may not see the incremental difference day in and day out. But over time, it compounds and it adds and it builds who you're going to be. Who you are right now and the kind of life you're living is a it's it's reaping the harvest of what was sown five, 10, 15 years ago. You're a product of who you've been the last 10 years in a way. And who you're going to be, you who you're going to be is a product of the obedience. Everybody say obedience in you walking out your obedience to the word of God. That's what fruitfulness looks like. Who you're going to be in that regard. I'm not talking about the idyllic sense of you've been born again. I'm talking about walking out and living a fruitful life. Okay. In living a fruitful life, who you're going to be 10 years from now is a product of how much relationship you have with God and how much obedience you've walked in. Because even though in a grand sense, we're all equals because we all got born again. We all got the same standing. There isn't an equal standing on reward. And there isn't an equal standing in obedience. And there's no making up for obedience. There's no making up for faith. That's between you and him. Amen. And when the storms come and the rubber meets the road and all of those little catchphrases I could add in right now, you want to have built a life that was tested in following his word. Amen. Amen. So these are some practical things. I'll try to have this typed up better if you want to look at them. Thank you for holding a couple minutes late. But but uh, I really feel like this was important because we can we can keep all of these principles in theological land, but they need to they need to boil down into. All right. What am I actually doing? Right. Amen. All right. Let's pray. And I think we'll close. Father, I thank you that you put legs to this message, that it doesn't remain theoretical. I thank you for continuing to flesh out the tools that we all need. Maybe not everybody will look like what I do, but I thank you, Father, for giving everybody their own inspiration and ability to test and prove, as Paul said, prove their own walk and have rejoicing in themselves alone, rejoicing in the fruitfulness of God's work in them. So, Father, we thank you right now that they get excited about what you've told them to do, you've told them to do, and that they put it into action and that we all have more fruitful lives on a personal level, on a family level, on a church level, on a community level, because we are being obedient to what you've given us. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.